the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 307. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Bill Bennett. Bill Bennett, it's so good to have you back in the studio. How are you? I'm good now, Paul. It's uh, it's been a little, little while. We have we've, you've been very busy the last few months. We're not uh, we're not catching up as much as we we used to. And um, but, no, but and you're I'm, here now, so that's great. I tend to be busy on a Tuesday as well for some reason. Well, you're just a popular man. <laughs> well, thank you for coming in. Let's uh, let's jump straight uh, straight into the topics. Uh, first up, Apple uh, Apple Pay has has finally landed in New Zealand. Now, I imagine there will be a few um, Android users and uh, Samsung users who will be yawning a little bit and saying, well, we've had our uh, NFC payments uh, through our smartphones for a long time. What's uh, what's the big deal? What, what do you think of this step? So what we've got is we've got in New Zealand, if you want to do a, a credit card payment through your Apple phone or your or your watch using Nearfield Communications. First of all, you need a a payment terminal at the uh, at the store that supports your um, contactless payment or tap to pay, whatever you want to call it. And then you need to have an ANZ credit card, and it can't be a Mastercard; it has to be a Visa. So there's a fairly small number of credit cards that will work with this. Now, conveniently, I did have one that f- fell into the right uh, the right category. I was going to ask you about that because I did the numbers in my head. There are, I don't know, ANZ is probably the biggest bank in terms of customers, but it can't be as much as more, much more than about third to forty percent of the market. Apple probably has about a twenty percent market share or thereabouts. Visa probably has, I don't know, half of say ANZ, ANZ's business. You start to dice that up, and you're talking about fifty percent of bugger all, really, and. <laughs> um, it's um, but no seriously forty percent times half times half uh, sorry times twenty percent you're talking probably about four or five percent of the population this would apply to so it's not that huge a deal um, and the other thing is is of course a lot of retailers still have those signs up no contactless payment so is it important well it's another step on the path towards contactless becoming a thing but it's also a step away from FPOS and FPOS has been so brilliant for New Zealand um, that it will be a, you know, it'll be terrible to lose that and um, start having these big multinational credit card companies clipping the tick on it, ticket on every transaction so it's a mixed thing really and why do you think Apple have gone with ANZ and, and Visa? I don't think it's so much <laughs> Apple going with ANZ and Visa as the other banks are still negotiating and um, are not keen to do this yet. Yes, well, I guess it's it comes down to our dollars and cents at the at the end of it. And I would imagine that uh, it's ANZ and uh, and Visa that have uh, accepted whatever uh, Apple's terms are for uh, for the sort of partnership. Yeah, and my understanding is that the other banks are still talking to Apple, but I don't know if they're talking collectively, and I'm not even sure if that's allowed. But they, um, but they are talking to Apple. I, I get the impression we're months away from having a, a, that resolved, um, if it's ever going to be resolved, because Apple may not be offering a good enough deal. 
And there could be some sort of exclusivity also that uh, ANZ and Visa have signed for as an you know as part of the uh, the initial sign- signing on. Uh, yeah, first. but you need to have as many as as many people as possible using this for this to work. And um, like I said, it's probably only about five percent of the population. That's not enough. Now the um, the bits that interested me most about this this announcement were some of the I guess the behind the scenes. And I met with Visa going back maybe eighteen months to years ago and I know we did talk about this on on the podcast at the time is this idea of tokenization and the the idea of um, having basically a main credit card number but then all these virtual credit card numbers that were able to be auto-generated and so on behind the scenes and what I hadn't sort of delved into and wasn't aware is this is how Apple Pay is working so the credit card, when you get your receipt for a payment that you've made through your iPhone or your um, Apple Watch, it has a different you know, different credit card number yeah. on it than, than what you're used to seeing. And that's because they actually generate a unique credit card number, a virtual credit card number for the device. And if you, you know, deregister and re-register, I think you get a new one. You can, you know, let's say you lose your phone and you're worried someone else will be able to get into it. Somehow they, you know, get your credentials and so on. You can cancel cancel that virtual credit card without having to actually cancel your main credit card, which is, is slick, and then also the um, the three-digit number on the on the back of your card. What's that called, Bill? Can you security remember? Security number. Yeah, the, yeah, the security number. I, I, I thought there was another... Uh, Another a technical name for it, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, the three-digit security number. Yeah. Um, I think that rotates on a, a sort of continual basis, basically. So there's probably a, a um, you know a, a method through which that gets uh, that gets generated um, for you know on a one-time type uh, type basis as well. So it makes it much more secure than a traditional credit card. Yeah, and, it is secure. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that aspect of it, um, but. We would need more terminals to be able to cut up our normal credit card and to be able to do all our transactions this way. I also like the the fact that that technology can be used for other kinds of cards as well. So you can use it for loyalty cards and and so on. So so why is nobody else doing that yet? Though that was the bit that sort of you know got got me. Isn't um, the US? I think. Um, Walgreens are doing it, which yeah. is a sort of a big pharmacy come supermarket, etc. Um, but there, there doesn't seem to have been a, a huge take-up, whereas it would seem quite natural to do this. Again, I guess there are some financial terms from Apple for people to jump on board. Yeah, it's all about clipping the ticket, really. I mean, and and that's the that's that was the beauty of the old FPOS system. Well, we still have that FPOS system. I don't use, I more or less don't use anything else when I'm in New Zealand. It's because it's it's free to the merchants and it's free to the users and that just oils the wheels. It just makes it work so beautifully. And once you start getting huge corporations wanting to clip the ticket, you know, ultimately we're all a bit poorer. So, mm. I mean, those, you know, the likes of MasterCard and Visa, they don't have these gorgeous corporate headquarters for nothing. It's, you know, they've got that money has to go somewhere. Right. And now the... Um now, now Apple are obviously keen for a, a, some sort of slice of that them, themselves. Well, have you seen the pictures of Apple's new building? <laughs> they're, they're doing all right, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so they certainly, they certainly know how to do business. Now, I did have an occurrence happen just a week, about a week before Apple Pay launched here in New Zealand that if Apple Pay had have launched earlier, it would have been extremely helpful to me. So I raced out to grab something at the supermarket. I got to the supermarket, was about to go to the checkout, and I reached into my pocket, 
And of course, I had my phone with me because, you know, we don't usually leave our phones behind. Um, I did not have my wallet with me. And uh, that would have been, that's the one case I can think of probably in the last year where it would have been super helpful. And so uh, that occurrence may not come around for another year. Uh, but there are circumstances where being able to pay from your phone would be uh, would be quite helpful. Well, I've got a leather wallet. Um, when I was a kid, my grandfather used to joke with me about I had so much money, I would you know, break my leg falling off my wallet and so on. But my wallet these days is packed, but it's packed with cards. I, I counted one point, I think I had 14 cards. I mean, different airlines and um, some loyalty cards, my coffee card and you know, yada, yada, yada. There's about 12, 13, 14 cards in there. It'd be nice to actually slim that down a bit. Well, if all, I mean, if nothing else, but we had all our loyalty cards were always done in an electronic sense now because who doesn't, who doesn't have a mobile phone? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not really an unusual thing now. So, but, but still we get handed out these, uh, these varying cards. In the last few weeks I've been sent, uh, you know, sent these new loyalty cards from... Uh, new World. I think New World. Yeah. I think maybe have... Is it Food Tap? There's been a couple of them yeah. that, have, that have made changes as uh, flybys are, are being sort of push, pushed yeah. out. I've got and, about um, four cards or something to do with flying now, yeah. Air New, <laughs> you know, Air New Zealand have done their deal with... Um, did they do, who did they, they do their one with? Was that New World and Air New Zealand and then there's AA and other supermarkets? chains yeah, you know, yeah. I think both chains have uh, have got new things in place and of course they're sending out new cards and I looked at the new card last week and I thought where am I going to put it that's you know so I'll yeah. have to go through I probably it, it will replace another one uh, but really if all of that was electronic and and I guess this this is sort of Apple's vision is that we will be in a position where we just insist on having these things electronic and uh, we, you know when that day comes they'll be able to get their little little cut uh, for those people that are using an Apple device, if you're on another device, who knows whether Google or Samsung or whoever will be um, be able to control that. My pick is probably no, because those platforms are much more uh, open and something where uh, Apple will, will you know sort of be in a position where they can control that because they control the, the, their entire ecosystem and they tend to probably have a... a a slightly well, I don't know if "slightly" is the right word, but a but a customer base that would spend uh, more on average than those of um, of uh, you know other devices. Yeah, there's that, and there's also the fact that Google and Samsung really don't need anything else to argue about. Well, we have we've had a few issues in the uh, certainly in the Samsung um, Samsung world. Uh, we've spoken on this over the last you know few weeks on a number of occasions. But we really do have to revisit it again. The um, the, the woes around the note uh, the note seven uh, because uh, yeah obviously we, the the loop has been sort of closed up and uh, really it, you know what we had in rumor form last week you know is all confirmed. The note seven is no more. It's no longer being uh, manufactured, and you can't take it on a on a flight. And the stats out suggest I think there's still. I saw a number mentioning something like six hundred thousand Note Sevens that are still out there in the wild that are that are being used. So that's a you know maybe a quarter of the devices that uh, you know that were sold are still out there. Yeah, with these safety issues, it's um it's, you know, it's probably a and now you're not able to take them on a flight. So if you turn up at the airport and forget, um, you're kind of going to be stuck because you're going to probably lose your phone. Yeah. Uh, so or lose um, your flight, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's a there's a bit of pressure uh, there on people, isn't there? Um, conveniently now, Spark and Vodafone are giving people a hundred dollars uh, 
Uh, credit, I think, um, well, it varies between them in terms of exactly what you get and um, and why, but um, or how. So whether it's a uh, credit towards a new phone, or um, I think one of them gives you a um, a prepaid credit card. The, um, the or debit card. There's two issues I think to discuss there. First is can I mean obviously at some point Samsung's reputation will recover, right? But just how bad will it be for that company? I mean. It's uh, there's the stories that it's already affecting sales of their other phones and even their tablets. I saw a survey out saying that um, a few weeks ago they surveyed people, would you buy a Samsung phone again? And 32% of people were saying, no, we would not. Yeah. And I saw that figure had gone up to 40, 40%. Yeah. Now, I don't know all the details around it. I haven't read every single piece on it, but there's certainly some um, some damage that's well, sure. and I keep hearing people saying, of course, Samsung will recover. And I think I might have just said something similar myself a few moments ago. But the thing is, is that this can be the kind of thing which does escalate and snowball and become like a major problem. Um, I mean, think back to what happened with those HP tablets a few years ago. And um, there, was, there, was a, there were problems there as well. It's, it's not fatal yet. But if Samsung doesn't handle things well, it could become you know, a much, much bigger problem. Um, it's, already going to, it's already going to affect the numbers. If you look at the, the phone market, Apple makes pretty much all the profit. It makes about 85% of the profits. Samsung made some profit. Huawei makes some profit, but we don't really know because the company's private, so you can't get a breakdown of the figures. But we know that it's profitable. And it's probably you know enough, well, it's certainly enough to make worth Huawei's while making phones Sony is ticking over a small profit from the phone business and that's it no one else makes money from phones the thing the story about Apple making 85% of all phone profits well what percentage of all phone profits is Apple going to make in this quarter and remember that the last quarter of the year is the quarter that matters it's the big quarter for the phone market because it's in the run-up to Christmas it's Probably. And, and it's the newest, the new devices have yeah. just come out. Yep. So on, you know, everyone buys those at that point in time. Right? It's the critical quarter. So I would, I would imagine that Apple's share of phone profits will be greater than that eighty-five percent during this quarter. And you know, there was some talk a few weeks ago about, well, the Apple Seven, the iPhone Seven, it's not that brilliant. It's not that compelling. It's not such a you know must-have upgrade. Well, I don't know. I think probably now. Um, it's, it's, it all looks a little bit different. Mm. I mean, because frankly, the the Note Seven looked like a beautiful phone. I mean, it was actually. I should read. I should read out my Instagram post about the um, about the Note Seven. So this was uh, this week's going back about two two months. So this was this was my uh, my take on it. Uh, super impressed with Samsung Galaxy Note 7. Looks cool, ticks the boxes in terms of features, waterproof, stylus, big bright screen, loads of storage, iris scanner, fingerprint reader. All we need now is a model that is indestructible. <laughs> um, I did not realize what I was writing uh, at, at the time. Um, I um, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Uh, it's all public. It's all online. So this was from Verdon uh, Kelleher at oh, yeah. at at Samsung. So below it, he he put uh, and so he works for them. So his comment was, "I'm biased, I know, but I love Note. I don't use anything else, despite being given all of our latest and greatest." Um, his last uh, sentence: "I'm loving the improved battery." 
Oh dear. Um, so boy. I just I just had to chuckle at that uh, that Instagram when uh, when 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 I saw it. So uh, well, I'm just going to read my what I say my review of the Samsung Galaxy Note Seven. Android's new champion packs every feature you might want in a phone and then some. So it really it really is sad for Samsung. And you yeah. know, I guess you know, last week we talked around you know where to from here. Uh, is it going to be that they're going to be a a, a, a um, uh, that they're going to kill off the Note brand entirely, well, you know? Because I guess they could say, "Look, we, we're going to pull this until we launch the the Note 8 Because no, obviously, no one's might, got confidence no, they in might that. Do a Microsoft thing move straight to a Note Ten, or or do they do, or do they go Galaxy S Seven or S Eight Plus? So they so they sort of line up because wow. the the S Seven and the S Seven Edge are still you know stunning phones. Uh, you know, they've got the bulk of what the the Note had. Um, you know, bar the, bar the stylus and the um, um, and the the iris uh, scanner. Um, so maybe uh, maybe the the eight uh, variant will come along that way and they'll move it along. But they need to make an announcement pretty soon, yeah. don't they? The longer that they don't, the more people will just wander off and buy products from uh, from other people. Well, that's what's happening with Apple's notebooks. Um, you know, their laptop market is doing exactly that because they haven't they haven't refreshed. Um, but I think I think that's not quite the same. We're not at that point with Samsung. It's still uh, quite soon after this has happened. At one point, I was wondering whether the Galaxy brand might be tarnished by this, but I think that's just too powerful a brand. And you know, f- frankly, I mean, in a world where some of these companies come up with horrible names, Galaxy is actually a good brand name. So I, I'm hoping Samsung keeps that. But I don't think they. I think. The thing about Samsung is it's actually got a slightly confusing strategy in that it has, in effect, two flagship phone brands or ranges. But within those, there's, there's models as well. So, it's, um, so there's actually something like six Android phones every year from Samsung, which are their flagships. Well, you've got different, you know, you've got the, the S7, the S7 Edge, the Note 7, yeah. and then you've got, you know, varying capacities. And in, then there are uh, smaller versions. In some cases, and yeah. then, you know, minis yeah. and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, from a, I guess from a, an earnings perspective, that allows them to leverage off what is a, you know, a very, very sought-after product and have people step up to a, a more premium version with the Edge, for instance, and then, uh, you know, people that might not buy one of the other Samsungs, but they would they will buy if it's a, um, you know, a variant of because there's a bit of cachet associated. Um, now, on the positive front from uh, from Samsung's uh, perspective, they, uh, they may, they've just made an announcement, and I don't know whether they've, they've pulled this forward because they need some, uh, some, some good press, um, that they are... Um, they're saying they're the industry's first uh, to mass-produce system-on-a-chip uh, products with uh, 10 nanometer FinFET technology. Now, when we look at uh, look at the chips from Intel, who you know yeah. we we think of as uh, as a company that, from a manufacturing chip perspective, is is usually right there at the forefront. Um, of course, originally they were going to be launching. Uh, uh, chips, their, uh, their their core CPUs and so on. Uh, this year, built on the 10 nanometer um, uh, process, but they uh, they ended up pushing that out till uh, till next year. And so um, this has given uh, given Samsung, I guess, an opportunity to uh, um, to get a bit ahead here. Obviously, uh, Samsung have been doing some pretty good uh, research to make that happen. I, I I tell you, there is no linkage between that and the phone thing because the 
that means that story is for a completely different market. The people who go out and buy Samsung phones are not the same people who buy, you know, um, industrial That's true, but right now Samsung, <laughs> Samsung need good press they that do. shows them of being world leaders. That, and, uh, that's true. And this story does. And, and, it's, you know, and it absolutely and, does that. And it's quite an achievement. I mean, I, I remember talking to Intel some time ago that, when you're at 10 nanometers, you're down to um, chips where things are only a few atoms wide. You know, it's, it can't go on. <laughs> there comes a point where it just cannot go on getting smaller, and it, we, must, we can't be far from that. So, um, but it's but it is it is impressive. And uh, Samsung, they, they'll be making ARM chips with this, won't they? Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is yeah. which is of course the other story at the moment is just how successful ARM's been in the last few years. Mm. Yeah, nanometer for for those that aren't sure is a, a billionth a billionth of a meter. Um, so that's um, or or a millionth of a millimeter. Um, so that's that's pretty um, pretty tiny, right? Yeah, well, I'm thinking an angstrom, which is is the atomic width. I think is oh, I could be wrong here, but I think it's about a hundredth of that. Um, he says. Uh, no, it's a tenth. It's a tenth of that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so yeah. So you're talking about something which is ten atoms wide. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, huh? yeah. 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 Yep. Per uh, per nanometer. So yeah. So in this case, that would be that'd be a hundred uh, atoms wide. But it's, yeah, it's get, it's getting uh, it's getting pretty small, right? Yeah. But that, yeah. when it's a hundred atoms wide, they've all got to be there pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so definitely some some good stuff going on, and of course Samsung are involved in so many areas. But you know, we talk we talked about the sort of the halo effect of of good products and how that brings sale. You know, in the past we've talked about you know people buying Macs because they love their iPhones and iPads and so on so much, um, or they bought iPads because they love their iPhones and whatnot. Um, you know, I think there, there's very much the potential for the reverse to 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 happen here. Uh, with Samsung, because in you know many ways, what they've done with smartphones and with TVs has uh, has given them you know a much stronger brand than uh, than what they had in uh, in years gone by, and uh, this could uh, this could flip in the in the reverse direction. Well, I just want to say one other thing about this, and I think there's 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 always a risk that what happened is actually down to a structural problem at Samsung, and that it, I mean that kind of accident can happen to any company. But it just might be that there's some kind of structural thing within the company. You know, who knows whether some head honcho told the guys, well, just get this damn thing out. Don't worry about those reports about the dodgy batteries. If that's the case, then there's some really hard um, talk that's got to be done inside that company. Um, You know, it it simply cannot have another issue like this. Because don't forget, very recently there was a problem, some sort of problem with washing machines as well. So... You know, it's there's just a whiff that there could be something structural going on. If that's the case, then we then we could have a crisis on our hands. Well, I think there's a bit of a crisis at the moment with well, no, yeah, with, no, certainly inter- internally within Samsung. Yeah, but right. this is a crisis you can get over. <laughs> let's let's hope so. Um, because it's you know it's great having the competition that we've had uh, you know in in the um, in this this market over the last uh, the last few years. Now. A new uh, new device. Sam Samsung have um, sorry uh, Sony have had their Xperia uh, smartphones, and I guess they sort of t- started taking getting a, a bit of extra attention with their Xperia uh, Z or Z 
when it launched, which must be uh, must be about uh, over three years ago now, uh, yeah, maybe even 2012. Don't say Z, Paul. You sound like Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm not 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 sure I want to align myself with uh, uh, anybody's politics, uh, let, let alone uh, Donald's. So uh, we'll call it the Xperia Z, being as as we're in New Zealand. Um, but you know th- that stood out as just an a, a, you know for its time a very uh, a very slick Android handset. It was the really the the first uh, flagship you know top end uh, device that ticked a whole lot of boxes, a, you know great camera, all these other things, and was waterproof as well, right? Uh, yeah. It was you know very very cool. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I was pretty uh, pretty impressed with it at the uh, at the time. Um, yeah, early uh, February twenty thirteen that came out, so three and a half years ago. Um, they've launched their uh, their latest, which is the um, the XZ. Um, you and I both sort of been playing around with this. What what were your um, what was your thoughts? Because this is a it's a sort of a metal cased um, phone. So it's got a. I think it's got really nice sort of uh, feel to yeah, it. Yeah, um, I think it's a beautiful phone. I I, um, I I was actually surprised at how. I mean, I, well, it's, this sounds daft because the thing is, is that pretty much any um, any top of the line Android or Apple phone, any any top of the line phone really these days from a major brand is going to be nice. I mean, I can't think of a really awful one I've seen in a while. So they're all they're all good. I mean, you wouldn't be desperately unhappy if you've got any of them some some of them are a bit more in the eye of the beholder though i mean you know and i've already had uh you know at least one person say oh that that doesn't look very nice from a distance but you know when you hold it it's quite slick what i thought the disappointment was is that they've launched this um you know black metal version in new zealand whereas when i looked at the images online of their platinum or that's what i think what they're calling it that looks sort of silver and so on that looks a lot a lot more well, the black premium gets, from a black, certainly in photographs anyway, if nothing else. The black one gets a bit smudgy, but you know it reminds me quite a bit of the um, the Nokia's from a few years ago when they Nokia's first started making Windows phones. With the curved edges, yeah, yeah, I like yeah, them. Yeah, but I, but I, no, I thought the um, I thought the Xperia was uh, uh, the Xperia. Hang on, just to get that right. XZ. I keep saying ZX because of the old um, Sinclair Spectrums. ZX80 and ZX81. Did you you use those, didn't you? God, yeah. I wrote books about them and things. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, um, yeah, shows my age. I'm afraid that was that was when you were actually there in the UK, right? So you were were close to home with those happenings. I was a boy, (laughs) sort of. But anyway, anyway, um, um, no, this is the, the Xperia. Um, XZ. It's a. It's actually a lovely phone. My only criticism. I mean, there's a lot of good things. It's got a. It's got a fabulously good camera, which takes great pictures. Probably about ninety five percent of the time. There's a few things that just just don't necessarily work. Um, but that could just be a question of getting used to using that camera. It's a twenty three megapixel camera too. So it's um, as far as definitions concerned, it's uh, yeah pretty much at the top got, of the top of the stack. But it's got those three sensors. It's got that. Uh, the laser rangefinder, and it's got that um, that other sensor for sorting out the color balance, which together they do a great job. I mean, it's a, it's a really nice camera. Um, the thing that um, the thing that I actually got excited about in a way that I don't get excited about with phones was the sound quality. When you stick the HD audio and you play back lossless digital music and um, 
and I don't know if that if you got one when with the um, sample, but I got those um, noise cancelling earphones as well. Well, you they're know, pretty slick, aren't they? Yeah, what's not to like? I mean, I mean, that's that that's that's just fabulous. But my only criticism, and it's a minor criticism, is that what Sony have put together is a 2016 um, state-of-the-art premium Android phone specification, and we've got about three months of the year to go. So, you know, if they, if, this, if they'd had this phone, say in February or March, it would have been right up there, right at the very forefront of the of the market. Six months later, it's still beautiful. It's still nice, but it's just gonna it's just gonna age a bit faster than um, some of the other phones, and that's a pity. But then you know, them's the brakes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's 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 a really uh, really nice phone. Um, as we're starting to see, it's got a USB C connection on it for uh, for charging. Yeah, so I like that. I, I yeah. think you know, it's good to see that starting to become the norm. Um, I found it very useful on my flight back from Christ Christchurch yesterday. Uh, I was about to uh, sit down and listen to uh, to a podcast that was downloaded to my uh, my iPhone, and uh, the headphones that I I'd um, my uh, newest uh, Sennheiser headphones that I should have had on the trip. I took the case and left the headphones oh, yeah. on my desk. Uh, so, and the Sennheisers I must talk about on another episode because they're absolutely fantastic um they do bluetooth and everything uh but i just had some little uh, sony ones with my uh, podcast recording um uh, items and grabbed that went to plug it into the iphone 7 plus and uh and then remembered that um yeah. oh i didn't have the uh, the cable with me to actually be able to pl- plug it in uh yeah. so uh, so i got stymied with that and um so i went went to the uh, went to the sony so it was very handy for me on uh, on that occasion yeah but uh, overall yeah very uh, very happy with it and the the yeah the camera side i thought was was very good now sony were were sort of you know playing on the fact that that um you know they do some some fantastic uh, high end uh, phones and their Sony yeah. uh, cameras and the, the uh, their Sony Alpha uh, products and how they were drawing from some of that expertise. Yeah, some of the technology has um, been you know cam- across, cam- yeah. camera wise. Yeah. Um, so I did some I did a, a whole range of sample shots from zooms and other bits and pieces to have a play. And I've got to say that we now have actually at the top end we have fabulous cameras across you know i, I was yeah. testing with the iphone 7 plus uh the galaxy s7 uh and the xperia which the xperia xz is is uh you know the lowest cost of all of those i think launch price uh, on spark who, who have launched it here a thousand and ninety nine but all of them do very good uh photos but it was it was certainly you know it was hard to say that the xperia on the particular test that i was doing was any better than those other products, even though it was newest, and even though Xperia, you know, Sony are sort of drawing from their their uh, heritage and, and making all the, the the sensors that go into Nikon and yeah. Sony cameras and 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 so on. I um, think they, but I, I guess it depends on what you what, 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 well. what you what you're testing, I suppose. So, I, I think um, it's Sony sensors in some of the Samsung phones. Could well be. Yeah. I mean, they make they make a lot of those yeah. uh, you know sen- sensors. So, um, but you know, overall very good. And yeah, as you say, they've got that. Um, uh, laser for uh, a very quick uh, autofocus. They've done some smart stuff around uh, image stabilization for uh, for videos, which uh, which looked uh, looked pretty good. 
Um, I haven't done a huge amount of testing on that front, but um, you know, it did, did look pretty good when I uh, um, you know had a quick play around with it. So you know, overall, and I know there's a there's certainly a, a bunch of listeners who are quite keen on the uh, the Sony Xperia products, and um, you know, I'd say you won't be too disappointed with this one. It's uh, no. it's pretty slick, and it's one of the few phones that uh, that still has a um, actually has a camera button on the uh, on the side yeah. of it, so you can just hold that down. Wherever you are, and you know, even if your phone's locked, and you can uh, you can hold that down, and um, you know, away you go, take some uh, take some photos while your uh, while your phone is is locked. Which, I think the uh, only thing I found handy. with that with that camera, Paul, was that I was probably trying to take iPhone or or Huawei or Samsung pictures with a phone with a camera, which is a different camera, and um, I probably need to spend more time with it. But the other thing I know, I, this is the thing I... You do get familiar, don't you, with, yeah. with particular uh, product, yeah, and, and you, you need to learn the way of behave the same way. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, the, other thing I, the other thing is that whenever I'm doing photos for testing purposes, I can quite often get some beautiful photographs. When I'm actually, say, at a press conference, I need to get some camera pictures fast. They're awful. Um, I just don't seem to be able to... Um, think fast enough to use a, a phone camera whereas if I've got a standalone camera I take much better shots I there must be something psychological must be I well they're they're a little bit harder to hold so yeah. you know a normal camera is is somewhat uh, somewhat easier to uh, to hold yeah there's a there's a bunch of things and in fact I was live streaming uh, today when um, when I went on board the uh, um, the ship that was um, or that has been and, and tomorrow again uh, will be out on the uh, water laying the uh, Tasman uh, global access cable and I just sort of thought well I'm sure one or two people would actually be quite curious at a behind the scenes look on this uh, on the on the ship and uh, yeah so I just live streamed over uh, over Periscope that a little bit onto uh, onto Facebook a- as well and you know it was all pretty raw. It was just me wandering around the ship and and getting getting told the varying uh, you know bit, bits and pieces around how the the elements worked and the the robots that uh, you know the two mechanisms they used to uh, to lay the cable and uh, you know it, it worked okay. But you know it was reasonably uh, reasonably shaky and and so on. But the, I guess the convenient thing was that I had that phone sitting in my yeah. pocket, so I was just able I was able to use it. Well, and I go. just don't carry. A bigger phone with me as as often as as I should, and also the bigger phones, um, there are very or bigger cameras. There are very few options for doing live streaming. So yeah. you capture your video, and then you've got a whole lot of processes to get it anywhere. And that's certainly what I love about um, you know iPhone and, and Android is you know they've 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 got great apps in terms of just being able to stream live and, and push stuff straight up to um, you know social networks and so on. Yeah, I mean, I carry a smaller bag now, so I didn't put a camera in it. But but yeah, it's the camera that you have is the camera that's going to take the best shots, you know. Yep, if you don't have one with you, not much yeah. use, is it? So yeah. um, now one other uh, gadget to uh, mention that was new uh, last week as well, and the um, the Xperia um, XZ, by the way, uh, Spark launched that uh, actually ahead of time. And I don't know whether this was just uh, that you know they had the stock early and they thought well there might be a, f- a few people out there wondering what to replace their Samsungs with so they launched that on Saturday it wasn't actually due to uh, launch yeah. until uh, sometime this week. Um, the other gadget, uh, new gadget, is um, TomTom's uh, Touch. Now, um, TomTom have sort of been uh, competing 
into the wearable space, generally with uh, you know with GPS enabled uh, wearables, and uh, their their new one uh, is the TomTom uh, Touch. So that's um, I think oh I don't have a date. I think it's uh, it's in the market now, um, two hundred forty nine dollars, and it's got uh, a built in um, heart rate monitor, which is pretty normal for these things. Um, it doesn't have uh, GPS uh, built into it. Uh, Tom Tom doesn't have GPS. I believe not. I think it draws that off your smartphone, unless I've got mixed up. Um, it's got five days uh, battery life that we're uh, we, we're sort of you know getting used to from Fitbits and other things. So, you know, it does step counting and uh, the usual bits and pieces. It's um, uh, splash proof um, or shower proof rather than something that's suitable for uh, swimming. One thing I did like about it is it uses just a standard micro USB connector. Uh, because a lot of these wearables, you need to you need their specific charger, yeah. which um, you know can be a little bit annoying if you go away or you know you don't have it with you. So it's it's nice being able to uh, being able to take just take your device and and some standard chargers, or you can pick up a charger at the other end. Um, but yeah, I've been caught out with that with gadgets before, uh, as I was over the weekend where I didn't take my uh, Apple Watch charger with me, and I I really wanted to do a few. Uh, uh, a few payments through the watch, which I've got to say um, is really, really easy. You just yeah. tap the button on the watch twice and it uh, comes up with a card. If you've got multiple cards, I think you can flick between them and change them, but you just tap it and hit the terminal. Um, paying on your iPhone uh, is arguably even easier still. You just hold the phone over the over the terminal and uh, um, you make sure your thumb uh, goes onto the uh, button, which just does, you know, authenticates you, and uh, and your payment just go, you know, goes straight through. Very, very slick and uh, and very easy. Um, just getting sidetracked there for a minute. Um, the unique thing that, or one of the one of the things that uh, TomTom have done in this is they've they've got some sort of a. Um, and I don't know the uh, the science behind this, but as well as the usual sort of heart rate monitor and so on, um, they've got a um, some sort of electronic uh, measurement that uh, analyzes your uh, body composition, and it's basically able to come back and to um, tell you your um, percentage of uh, muscle and body fat. Um, so instead of you just having to work off BMIs and so on, it actually sends this pulse around your body, and uh, and depending on how long that takes to come back or whatever it does, it, it gives you this um, uh, thing. So for you know fitness, um, yeah, it you know, lies. People, it lies. <laughs> I'm sure it does, Bill. <laughs> um, but I thought that's that's actually quite interesting to have a bit more data because that's data that we haven't seen before. Yeah. And the, obviously, the more inputs that you get, the more things that you can measure. Uh, the, you know, the more useful it is if you're, uh, you know, if you're very much focused on on your fitness. Which, it can you know. see me in court. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I haven't put that through its paces yet. Um, you don't as, dare, as, really, I, as, I, as I just grabbed grabbed that before I went away, and I'm not sure I'll be reading out uh, my body composition on the on the podcast anytime soon, and, until the numbers are. Uh, um, are fantastic. So, That's what uh, so we'll leave, leave it for. at that. Um, but it was funny that the other people that turned up for that were all these sort of gym types and and so on that were. Oh, um, they had a function. Uh, yeah, we're uh, you know we're we're uh, we're all all looking fantastic, and um, you know even even they were complaining about what the uh, what the results um, were that were being offered. So anyway, all good all good fun stuff. Um, Bill, what, we've got a few few more things to uh, to cover off before we finish up. Vodafone Fiber X. 
Now, you wrote about this on your on your um, blog at billbennett.co.nz, yeah. uh, I think last week, and I saw the title and I thought, what is Vodafone Fiber X? Well, um, yeah, it's a bit cheeky, actually, because it's not fiber. <laughs> so, but it's... Um, it's the HFC cable. The what was originally which the, stands for hybrid fiber coaxial, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's so not, there there is fiber in the yeah, in the term. Uh, it's fiber in it, like breakfast cereal. <laughs> um, but, but no, there is there is fiber. There. Well, I wouldn't be eating this stuff. Um, not for breakfast, no, anyway. No, but it's um it's it's you know originally it was the Saturn network. It's the it's the network which Vodafone inherited from Telstra Clear, um, which was at one point yeah let's be honest it was falling apart for a while and this um, this was this was uh you know what we what the the u.s really has which is um you know it's for, it was designed originally for cable tv yeah, right yeah. that was its that's its primary purpose it's that coaxial cable um that it's, was you know put in the ground for house to house cavity coast wellington and christchurch right and it's a largely it's largely a broadcast medium or it was when it was uh, when it set up what's happened or um, you know, it's been it's been um, spiffed up quite a bit. Um, Vodafone spent twenty million. The word is is it's actually easier to spend twenty million spiffing it up than to rip the cables out of the streets, um, which would probably cost them a lot more. Um, would, would they have to do that if they stopped using it? Because that not, would be a pretty expensive they, endeavor. <laughs> not if they stopped using it, but at some point there would probably be some pressure for them to to um, pull it out. But anyway, um, it's going to be. Um, the, 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 what's actually happening is, is hasn't been announced yet. I'm going to a briefing tomorrow, which I'm not sure is on or off the record. But hey, I've told you this is happening. But um, um, but well, they've already said they're going to be moving it up to gigabit speeds yeah, and so gigabit on, gigabit haven't speeds, they? So that, yeah, that's yeah. all. That's all public. They, they've maybe been a little bit slow at launching them because you they potentially. No. If I mean, I don't know how much um, how much they're relying on um, on their external suppliers because. That network was, of course, never designed to deliver gigabit. No, and it's this new what is it, Doxus Do- three point one? Other, yeah, um, that's able. You know, this n- n- newer um, yeah. iteration, and I think they were going to be one of the first in the world to be they rolling are. this out at, at these speeds. So, um, and and um, and and the thing is, is that it's 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 rather like um, skinny broadband in that it it's a network which doesn't use the chorus. Um, um, loop. So basically, it's a vertically integrated network in a way that crosses, which means they can do interesting things with the price. They can either drop the price below UFB prices uh, for competitive reasons, or they can sell it whatever they like and pocket the difference. Um, it's you know, there's, there's there's it gives Vodafone some options in those areas. It'll be really interesting to see how they play it in terms of pricing positioning. But what's curious is that in the areas where the network is is going to be, or it, or it already is, will be overbuilt with UFB. So, the t- so there'll actually be two networks to choose from in those areas. And I think that's probably going to be the most interesting thing is to see how that plays out. Well, I will. Um, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing that. I mean, it doesn't doesn't r- relate to uh, you know obviously every part of the country, but I th- you know think people that have already got that network uh, you know in the area or to their homes. Uh, may well may well benefit from a competitive uh, pricing uh, perspective when they have that option of um, yeah the government's ultra fast broadband initiative and uh, 
and also an an upgrade to um, to Vodafone's network well, it's, there. It's unregulated. So, that's the thing. I think. Yeah. So, so they yeah. Could, they kind of do whatever whatever they like in those yeah. in those cases. Which you know I know in the past. Uh, you know, back in the in the earlier days when it was uh, Clear. yeah, and and, and before that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the in the Telstra Clear days, and maybe even in the Saturn days, where uh, you know they were they were sort of undercutting um, what was telecom in those days for uh, you know for phone lines and and so on coming in at a slightly well, better price, so that you would you'd go down that track. I haven't had I haven't been to the briefing yet, but I'm guessing that there's going to be some compelling deal with Sky as part of this as well. So if you're on that network, you'll probably get some great deal to get Sky um, and and broadband um, over that, over Fiber 8. We will see. We will see. But, yeah, that, that does make some sense. Um, now, the Tasman um, Global Access uh, Cable. So that is what I think is about halfway through being... Um, being built in terms of the, the you know the cable being laid, I think in terms of actual time from when it was announced, we're we're a lot longer than uh, halfway. Um, we are told it should launch uh, Bill uh, January, late late January yeah. is kind of the estimate at, yeah. at this stage. So I was fortunate. I know you got a bit busy this morning, Bill, and, and didn't manage to uh, make it down at all. But uh, fortunate to go and, and actually have a look on the um, the cable laying uh, ship from um, whose cable laying ship is it? Alcatel uh, Lucent's. Yeah. Uh, ship? No, no, they're called Nokia now. Well, yeah, it's still got their stuff. Has <laughs> yeah. that all completed now? Because uh, they haven't updated their branding on the ship. But uh, yeah, I guess they've. It's yeah. been another merger, and uh, it's all, all all part of uh, Nokia, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, so that that was quite interesting. Actually, there were there were a whole bunch of things. the The ship is called the Elder Ray. Massive, massive ship. Um, I I guess I had not really thought through how you know how big a ship you might um you might you might well, need well, and hang the, on a the, it's it'll, got 4000 kilometers of cable so well <laughs> yeah i think it had a thousand there was a thousand kilometers of cable on there for um which i think is their maximum yeah. load um but yeah between new zealand and australia obviously over 2000 and then they also on this ship because it covers the um uh, the South Pacific uh, region, it has all the other cables that it needs for repair. So should uh, somebody else's cable break, other than the one, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, different to what they're working on building. So obviously it can be working on a building project like it, it has been lately. Um, but it's got all these other cable types. So they had sort of three mm, cable wells, I suppose you'd call them. And uh, two of them, each of those had... Um, had uh, 500 kilometres of um, of ca- of cable uh, in them, and and I think they were probably joined, so it was probably a thousand kilometres. Uh, now this was all manufactured in uh, in France, and then that got shipped over to I think Fiji, where basically it was then hand wound into the <laughs> ship. So somebody's walking backwards for a thousand kilometres. <laughs> Um, to, uh, to to <laughs> to lay this stuff, so um, I, yeah, I don't quite know uh, how that works or how long that um, I, you know. I didn't check in on how long that that took to do, but uh, a, a pretty big job to actually get that cable because if you don't lay it right, and they haven't worked out the technology to uh, 
um, you know, robot to be able to do that for them just yet. So it's uh, it's currently a manual process. Um, so they've got that, and then they've got all these other um, you know big long you know kilometers and kilometers of uh, of other other cables. Should there be uh, should there be breakages? So it was pretty fascinating, just you know, learning about those processes. Um, they've got uh, one piece that uh, looks like, I guess, a um, what would you call it? A uh, you would use it on a on a on a farm to sort of you know hoe a field or, or a hoe. yeah something something <laughs> like that. But for for the one that actually sort of would put seeds and so on under the ground, uh, what's the term for that? But anyway, they've got a, a device like that that goes on the seabed up to one and a half kilometres deep. Uh, that basically digs um, digs a meter down, and then uh, drops the uh, the fiber optic uh, cable there. Um, the cable itself, seventeen millimeters thick, um, and basically what what you've got. In fact, did I show you the one I had sitting yeah, around here, Bill? Yeah. They've got one here. So now, if you want to see the the footage, I live streamed most of this onto Periscope, so you can find that on my Twitter handle at Paul Spain. And there was also some chunks that I put up on my Facebook, so you can uh, you can follow me uh, facebook.com slash Paul Spain. Just search for uh, Paul Spain on Facebook. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm starting to do a bit more of these sort of live videos, so uh, you can catch them on there, um, and you'll see some of the actual footage, so you can see this and see the bits and pieces on the uh, on the boat. But 17 millimeter cable, and at the core of it, uh, just two fiber optic pairs, so four fiber optic cables. Which, when you think, if if you've got ultra fast broadband running into your house, you've got a pair. This yeah. is only twice as much as those. Um, they could have added more pairs to that cable, uh, but it would have added five million dollars per pair uh, to the project. So, a hundred million dollar project. They wanted to double the number of uh, fiber optic um, strands in there. Would have bumped it up to maybe 110 million, um, and they're only actually going to use the one pair. So basically, what you're used to running into your home at the moment or your business—that's what they're going to yeah, run. Yeah, but it's going to be at terabit speeds or something. Yeah, yeah. but it's basically it's the same. Yeah. it's the same fiber, uh, and it yeah. just comes down to the equipment that goes on the uh, that that goes on the end, which is um, is is pretty mind blowing when you when you think yeah. of it. So it, it gives you some idea of the benefit of moving from. You know, copper into our homes and businesses to fiber. There's a lot of headroom to basically increase those speeds. Uh, you know, ad infinitum for many, many years to come. Should should we need terabit into our home? Yeah, well, I'm um, working then, on a matter transporter which will use that. So. <laughs> How are you going with that project, Bill? I can imagine it could be fairly costly. <laughs> I'm in trouble here. Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was it was cool. But if you want to see those videos, oh, the other thing they had, um, so that covered some scenarios. Other scenarios where it's you know much deeper, um, then they they will just drop the cable. But they also want to make sure that it's not just sort of stretched across gaps. So they need it to sort of fall you know down into into holes and so on. Um, and then they've got a, they've got another which we looked at, which was really cool. This is a, a robot that looked like a, something from Thunderbirds and a big yellow thing, um, and that uh, that floats. So it just it floats on the water, but then it's got the propulsion and it can push itself up to two kilometres uh, down, and can do the same thing. You should have been there, Bill. This was so cool. Um, sorry, I missed, um, I missed the trip to Tracy Island. Pretty much, um, yeah. So it was uh, it was very cool, but worth having a look at the videos. Um, got lots of insights in just terms of how long this stuff takes. Um, they said if a cable breaks, so let's say a Southern Cross cable uh, were to break, 
then basically they can get to you know most locations in the region. You know, it's going to be within about five days for them to get there. They stop what they're doing. They would go there, uh, and then they can fix um, you know most breakages within three to four days. Uh, they said doing a cable join with a fiber optic um, you know cable that 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 gets laid. Um, that join process, I guess that happens on board the um, the boat, is about 24 hours worth of uh, worth of work, if I recall correctly. Um, so it's uh, it's not not just the same as sort of splicing your uh, cable as 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 happens when your ultra fast broadband's getting uh, getting installed in your street. There's going to be a lot of people waiting for the next episode of their Netflix series and so on. But, mm. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, there was some interesting discussion. Chatted with um, the CEOs from Vodafone and 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 Spark um, afterwards, and uh, the, I guess the highlight there from uh, from Simon Muta was uh, from from Spark, and of course they own half of the uh, the southern the Southern Cross cable. Mm. Um, and they'd initiated this project, but um, you know his comment was this is around resiliency rather than anything yeah. else. Look, we've got good enough speeds. We've already got a connection to Australia, um, but what we're seeing is, a, a, um, and I think Vodafone highlighted, uh, Russell Stannis highlighted that um, you know the massive growth in traffic now to Australia, whereas it used to be yeah. about ten percent of our uh, internet traffic in and out of New Zealand. Uh, now it's something like forty percent because well, of all the cloud services and well, other things so that are based also in Australia. Is the um, is Asia is increasing in its importance by massively as well. Yes, yes, that's absolutely yeah. a key, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you when you can sort of combine that, the idea of uh, you know traffic going east from New Zealand, it uh, made sense for them to uh, to go ahead and invest. Um, but in terms of what everyone should expect in late January when this goes live, uh, nothing. Yeah, uh, You shouldn't notice any difference. We've got more than enough capacity in the current uh, connections, uh, but obviously made business sense to uh, to go ahead and, uh, and get rolling. Um, now, there's a listener question we're going to come back on. We not, don't have time for it this episode, and I'm looking to just uh, probably talk to some of the internet providers and um, uh, product manufacturers so we can do a little, little bit uh, more homework on this one too. Uh, the question came in, I think uh, this one was probably off Facebook or, uh, or Twitter, was uh, um, asking, look, Paul, you, you've talked about having a gigabit uh, ultra-fast broadband connection at home now. Um, what's the right equipment to be using to get the maximum speed out of that, both from a you know, wired router perspective and also uh, Wi-Fi? Um, so that's something I'm, I'm having a little bit of a play around with in terms of uh, options. From a business perspective, too, that's something that the team at Gorilla are uh, uh, having a look at um, in terms of you know what is the what is the right uh, equipment because it's all very well having a router that yeah. can deliver you gigabit in a home environment, but in a business, uh, you've got all sorts of firewall capabilities and you want to be you know scanning for malware and and other bits and pieces, and it takes some. Uh, uh, slightly heftier equipment yeah. than uh, than you'd have in your home to uh, to do that stuff, and some of it can be pretty uh, pretty pricey for a you know certainly for a uh, a very small business. So, well, I'd um, say you probably want both actually. Yeah, well, the yeah the challenge is just you know what some of those cost, and yeah. um, you know small businesses may uh, may struggle. So we'll be doing a little bit of a look at that and uh, and and sharing those details. Um, another bit of news out last week was um, Microsoft bringing their Hololens to uh, more than just I think it was just the US initially. New Zealand will be getting it. And you can buy it, uh, the developer kit, I think is $4,699 through the Microsoft Store, so you can order that now. And uh, they've also got one uh, targeting you know, businesses, enterprises, $7,829. So not a low-cost purchase. Um, if you're curious about this, then they will be uh, 
they'll be showing these off um, in some form at um, at their Ignite conference. In fact, I think they're doing some sort of a, a draw that you yeah, can go is. into, so you can uh, you can get a full a full hands on because I guess when you've got two or three thousand people in one place. Uh, it's a few too many people to give everyone a, a go, so um, uh, that's something I guess people will be queuing up to get hands on with. But uh, it, it is definitely some cool, cool, uh, cool equipment for those that are interested well, in something um, to virtual reality some of the and augmented reality. Floating around yeah. too. Well, that's true. <laughs> if you're doing uh, you're doing that sort of uh, augmented reality, uh, yeah. you know, video immersion type gaming, that could uh, that could use up a, a fair bit of bandwidth, couldn't it? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> Um, I think that's it for us uh, this week, Bill. Was there anything else you wanted to uh, add? Any? Um, are there any sort of big, big other topics you've been writing about on your um, on your blog that people should be looking out for? Oh, it's all good. <laughs> There's been been, <laughs> been a few interesting pieces in there. You've yeah. uh, you've did a bit of a comparison of the ultra fast, uh, you know, gigabit ultra fast broadband plans that I yeah. you know, think people are curious about. That's uh, just yeah. a, a nice, uh, clear, simple uh, comparison on some of the consumer plans. Uh, yeah, the simple the basic rule is don't bother with anything other than um, unlimited if you're buying a gig and expect to pay between about 120 and 140 depending on who you buy it from when you think about it it's fabulously good value and it wasn't that long ago when a dial-up connection could cost you getting on for that in a month so things have come a long way haven't they they really i mean we just keep getting faster and faster and uh, i mean we we're we're now i think on a global basis and we're we're moving into an enviable position i know there will be people like yourself bill who are sitting in uh, in homes that don't have ultra fast broadband yet that are frustrated but i've i've obviously moved it recently to somewhere where i've got it and i've got my gigabit and now i now i forget of what it was like just uh, just a couple of months ago when i didn't and uh yeah i'm in a in a happier place <laughs> yeah i think i probably <laughs> from got a away. Gig perspective i mean yeah i've got away a couple of years and it's not worth moving house for me just to get if i had to wait five years i might think about it yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's us. Bill, where do people track you down online? Oh. Your blog and Twitter are probably the best places. Yeah, Twitter, Bill Bennett NZ, and I'm there far too much of the time. <laughs> um, and billbennett.co.nz is my site, which um, is a mixture of sort of basically tech things that you might buy yourself and news about telecoms and enterprising stuff. Excellent. Good, good. Well, um, thank you for that. And, yeah, I can be tracked down online at uh, paulspain.com. And, uh, yeah, of course, on uh, on Facebook and, and Twitter, they're pretty easy to track me down on. Uh, feel free to connect on, on LinkedIn uh, if you'd like, but helpful if you put a message that you're a NZ Tech Podcast listener so I know know why you're connecting. Um, hey, well, thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening in again this week, and uh, we'll be back again next week. There's a few interesting, interesting things happening, so uh, that one will be worth looking out for. All right. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.